Our guest this week is Paul Bentz. He's a pollster and a political strategist with Arizona High Ground. And we're going to talk about some of the polls that he has and what it tells us about how people feel about some of the issues that are ascendant in our political debate. From KTAR News, this is The Think Tank, hosted by Dr. Mike O'Neill. Paul Benz, welcome back to The Think Tank. Thanks for having me. So, I want to talk about uh, a number of issues. Uh, abortion has uh, been a big issue sort of for the last 50 years. Uh, we've had a, a recent uh, development over the last year when uh, essentially Roe versus Wade was turned on its head, where essentially we had, uh, um, for the most part, legalized abortion. And and this court decision uh, almost flipped that on its head. There's an initiative in the winds. Uh, So essentially we have sort of abortion. It's either illegal or, or can be made illegal by the states and has been in states like Arizona. There is an initiative in the winds here. Tell us about that. Uh, sure. I, I think, first of all, it's important. So after the Dobbs decision, uh, Arizona's position on abortion has been in flux. There's a territorial law that's been in place uh, that banned abortions. On the other hand... It was an absolutist. <clears throat> right. And then there was also the 15-week uh, ban that had been put into law by Governor Ducey and passed by the legislature. And so there's been discussion about what's in place. And the courts to this point have basically left the 15 15-week uh, ban in in place for now, or at least, but it's still being Which litigated. Which means that abortion is banned after fix, 15 weeks. Correct. So, uh, but there is a group called Arizonans for Abortion that has put an initiative on the streets. They're gathering signatures right now uh, to change the law, so solidify in the Constitution the right to an abortion. If I could just interrupt that for a second. But there's this 1863 law out there, which is extreme. It's a total ban on abortion. And its status, I don't think, has been definitively established. I think courts deferred dealing with that, and um, uh, proponents of legal abortion are, among other things, afraid that it's, there's nothing that could stop the courts at this point from saying that 1863 law is is in effect, and that would give us the most draconian anti-abortion law in the country. That's certainly the threat and the concern, so that's why they want to establish a, a constitutional right to an abortion and setting forth some some rules, including uh, allowing abortions up to the point of viability and protecting the life of the mother and some other details in that. Um, it should be a major uh, democratic turnout mechanism, especially is something that's cared about a lot by lower efficacy voters, uh, younger voters, and others, So, and particularly, obviously, female male voters who care a lot about this issue. And so um, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of discussion about that. We're going to see candidates talk about this issue going into uh, the November 2024 election. I, I think Democrats are really relying on it as being an issue that will drive turnout for them, especially in a presidential year. We saw Biden won narrowly in 2020, understanding that this is one of the issues that would potentially help put Biden over the edge in a presidential contest. And just to make sure listeners get the implications of this, it's likely, I think everybody agrees, that a proposition like this on the ballot would tend to draw into voting more potential Democratic voters than Republican voters. 
That's correct. And uh, I, don't, I don't think it, we could all be wrong, but everybody's assuming that anyway. And that it not only, therefore, is something that would be um, uh, liberalizing the current state of affairs on abortion in Arizona, but also could impact, frankly, all of our close elections. It also will impact the number of younger voters that show up, which younger voters, even those who are registered independent, tend to be more progressive leaning. Uh, what we, by a dramatic amount. By I what mean, we, the under 30s are like a class by themselves. That's correct. The, 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 the problem with that group for folks who like that is that they have traditionally not voted in great numbers. Uh, younger voters uh, sig- significantly underperform. They do uh, turn out for the presidential election, but anything you can do to excite younger voters, get them to participate is important. The challenge Republicans have, and even uh, the RNC and others have talked to Republicans about this, is that the alternate position of just being opposed to all abortions, the criminalization of abortions is unpopular. We found in our polling 70.2% of the electorate is less likely to support a candidate that wants to criminalize abortion. So the challenge is find Republicans on their side, they have to find a way to navigate uh, this issue. Democrats and progressive leaning voters that want what you know is dif- dictated by Republicans are defined as abortion on demand. There's somewhere the electorate somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult issue to poll because it comes down to negotiation. You, f- you find a spot and then you say, oh, they're good with this. Yeah, but it's not. Yes. No. Right. It, correct. It's it's uh, it's uh, all circumstances. No circumstances, some circumstances, and then you get into the nuances of under what circumstances, how many weeks, or under what medical circumstances, and it it's dicey. And the the constitutional pro- proposal talks about viability instead of a number of weeks, mm-hmm. and so that creates a little bit of wiggle room. I think that they've exposed themselves to at least some criticisms. But that being said, I think likely the abortion initiative, if it qualifies for the ballot, I expect it will receive a lot of legal challenges. Mm-hmm. But if it qualifies for the ballot, it has a better than not chance of passing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, uh, they've made the getting on the ballot a lot tougher. That's correct. Tightened up, tightened up the what they call strict construction. In other words, you better when you sign your name, you dot every die, I cross every T. Use the same signal. Use the same. You know, don't use initials. You know, it's it's got to be perfect. You got to have uh, uh, the whole the whole thing, the whole initiative staple to every page, and you know. They, they've made it very difficult. Yeah. Plus, there's 300 and something thousand total valid signatures, which means any effort is going to need to gather over 500,000 signatures. Yeah. So that's a multi-million dollar effort simply to qualify for the ballot. And then there's for a couple- any, Multi-million for anybody except the teachers, for, right? The, well, <laughs> Who are the only people proven that they could do it without, without money. And that was a lower threshold. That was a referendum, mm-hmm. which was 150,000 yeah. signatures. But that being said- it's a challenge, no matter what. Uh, combined with what you've talked about, there's also efforts underway right now to make initiatives even more difficult, requiring minimum signature requirements from each county or each legislative district. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly it, the right to initiative was established in our constitution before our statehood, and there's been systematic attacks on the right to initiative year after year because mm-hmm. people have seen things be successful. That being said, that effort to put uh, the right to an abortion in the constitution, I think, is going to be a major driver for younger voters. Democratic-leaning voters, progressive-leaning voters, and certainly something that the Democratic presidential candidate, likely Joe Biden, would be welcome onto the ballot. Mm. 
doing pretty much the same thing in Ohio, aren't they? Yeah, I, it would appear so. And you saw the uh, throughout the country when we've seen the, the the efforts on this, we've seen higher than usual turnout, even in mm-hmm. off-cycle elections, which are traditionally low turnout affairs. Mm-hmm. So I think this is one of the keys that Democrats see in their toolbox combined with a very aggressive ground game that they've already deployed that is going to be essential for their victories this year. Interesting to watch that sort of the Democrats have been screaming for the last 20 or 30 years, the Republicans are going to take away your right to an abortion. And I think people got very blasé about that because it was it was threatened or promised for many years and it never happened. Well, last year it happened. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And and all of a sudden, the people who are active are the um, the injured party. The, the, the party that essentially is in the losing situation right now, and right now, that's the pro-choice people. Well, I, I think the same thing could be say, said for voting rights. I think there's been a lot of threats or concerns about taking away voting rights, mm-hmm. uh, and they've you know, largely been sort of ignored to this point. But when you talk about things like getting rid of early bo- voting here mm-hmm. in Arizona, which is incredibly popular. With uh, everybody, Republicans as well as Democrats. Right. One day, we've one had day, it for 30 years. One day counting, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, the notion of getting rid of early voting, 67% of the electorate as opposed, less, less likely mm-hmm. to vote for a candidate that wants to get rid of early voting. You've got 68% who would be less likely to vote for a candidate that would empower the legislature to overturn election results. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we talk about these folks that think there's significant fraud that impacted the outcome mm-hmm. of the elections, they're a very narrow segment. And that's one of the things that Republicans really have had a challenge with. Arizona is still a red state and Maricopa County is still a red leaning county. But the challenge is these Republicans are lashed onto issues like criminalization of abortion and like banning early voting and limiting voters' rights that are they're on the wrong side of those issues, mm-hmm. particularly with younger voters, particularly with swing voters. And so they are unable to put together that coalition that has been successful in the past to win elections in Arizona. It's almost like if you tried to contrive how the Republicans put, could put together a losing platform, they're doing pretty well. Right. They're, they're <laughs> picking the anchovies on the pizza. They're picking the one that they might like. It really appeals to them, but they, the overall audience, they, they're not keeping that in mind. There's an ideological purity that has really pervaded the Republican primary politics. I mean, you look at the Republican are now claiming they want to take the presidential preference election away from the traditional election. They want a one-day election with paper ballots. By the way, Arizona does use paper ballots, but mm. a one-day election because they don't believe that otherwise it could be a safe and mm. secure election. The, casting that doubt is yeah. only hurting themselves well, in these races. I, I, I applaud, actually. I think the uh, paper ballot is a good idea. Because there is a thing there that you can recount, whatever. What's a stupid idea is hand-counting. Right. Because I can absolutely tell you that without any doubt, hand counting is like 100 times less accurate than machine counting. <laughs> right. Because human beings make mistakes, and especially when you ask them to do a million something a million times. There's well, going to be mistakes in there. Well, and if you think it takes a while now with the late drop-offs, the people mm-hmm. who drop off their ballots on election day and the four or five days mm-hmm. it takes to count those, just wait till you have to wait weeks to have a hand count of all of the oh, ballots. Oh, It'll be Especially endless. because, think of, think of judicial Think of how many off. We don't just have. If we only had presidential votes, it might be remotely possible. But our ballot is stuffed with so many things. You can audit the machines, and you do. You you take what they is. They take ballots 
that have a known distribution, they run them through the machines, and they make sure they get the re- right results, or else they fix the machines. Well, not to mention the every ballot and every precinct is basically different based mm-hmm. on, you know, you've got school district races, you've got legislative races, you've mm-hmm. got all these different races to count. So it, it, each ballot has mm-hmm. got significant number of decisions on it. And how, how are you going to sort through all of those by hand and then make sure mm-hmm. that you, you can go back and count those correctly? Yeah, it's, it, it's like almost like, you know, you buy something, you buy something at Amazon, right? You click on what you want. A pretty good chance the order's going to go incorrectly, or if it didn't, you it's your fault, right. right? Right. If you clicked what you want, they know that. If you call somebody on the phone and you say, "I want this and this and this," they might get it wrong. They might hear you wrong. They might or type in your number, right? You type in your credit card number. As long as you check it, you get it right. Now, if you say it to somebody, people mishear. But the issue is that they've cast all this doubt on yeah. the election system, which create de- erodes confidence in the election system. And instead of claiming defeat because they're on the wrong side of the issues mm-hmm. and our pollings demonstrate in multiple places that they are, mm-hmm. they just say that the, there's fraud and that the election was stolen. And that doesn't create confidence in the system that erodes confidence. Yeah. And when offered the opportunity to go into court and provide proof of it, it's never happened. So far, it has not no. been It's not you know, been the case. Of a million right. votes in most states, you end up prosecuting one or two people. And usually it was something stupid. And it was almost always something like, well, the one case I think in Scottsdale was a woman who voted for a dead husband. And she would have been legal if she had checked that she signed for him, you know, voted for him. But she checked that, that he did it and he was dead and right. he didn't. And it was, you know, it was... Or uh, the person who... Uh, uh, moves and voted from the prior state, then they register here and they vote here too. No, you only get one vote. Right. You know, <laughs> even our attorney general, you know, case uh, vote, which was 231 votes, right? So you'd, to change that election, you had to, you'd have to cheat by 240 votes. You know, nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing a dozen. They're, they're doing one. Right. And, and in effect, it's random and the, the penalties are severe. And um, it's basically, you know, if you think it's an issue, show the evidence, take it into court. Uh, but that's where it, that's where it ends. Lots of theories, but not a lot of proof. That's what we see yeah. over and over when it well. comes to this. And the result is, though, you you see that these candidates who are continue to latch onto it. Carrie Lake is a great example. She just she will not let that go. She's uh, certainly has still a little level of celebrity, but we've seen her support levels dropping simply because mm-hmm. she has not been able to provide that proof and is still litigating not only 2022 but litigating 2020. Republicans, if they don't start looking forward and start talking. Talking about the things mm-hmm. that they don't start talking about the economy and not just criticizing Biden, but if they don't start talking about the issues that voters care about, particularly the issues that independents care about, they're not going to have a chance. They're they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in again. You got to wonder in some of these cases, is this basically just becoming a job because you can use this to fundraise? Well, it certainly has become, I mean, President Trump raised $7 million in one day on his mugshot. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there is certainly, you look at all these different places and the folks that they've been able to latch on money to, the Arizona Republican Party, for mm-hmm. example, their best fundraising was while they were doing the audit. The audit was mm-hmm. a better fundraiser than it was an actual proof of the mm-hmm. security or lack thereof of the yeah. election system. And, and it had the anomalous result that actually Biden did a little better in the hand count. <laughs> right. And you know what? I don't even believe that. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I, I know human error, you know, just innocent human error. If you, 
hand and look at how long it did. And they were only counting one election. And we have hundreds of elections right. when, by the time you get down to school boards and, and judicial retentions and the like. Let's move on a little bit. Education. Sure. Now, there's an interesting thing. Everybody wants better education, or at least says they do. But you have uh, one group saying, well, we've solved education. We've given vouchers. If you don't like your schools, you can go run somewhere else. And the other side says, hey, you're just stripping away an underfunded public school system. Where's the public Where's the public come down on that argument? Well, what's interesting is it. one thing is it depends on if you call them vouchers versus empowerment scholarships. People want to empower students. Empowerment scholarships are much more popular than vouchers. Um, but what we see is fundamentally voters care most about in increasing teacher pay. They still believe mm -hmm. that the majority of the electorate is uh, the majority of teachers are underpaid and they still believe that the majority of schools are underfunded. What you have when you talk about ESAs or vouchers is a strong Republican presence focused around school choice, which is driven by this narrative, the national news narrative of what they believe is being taught in the classrooms, whether it's the myriad of gender issues or critical race theory or all these other controversial topics. This national scare effort to make uh, Republicans and others believe that what's being taught in the schools is somehow uh, against what we have been traditionally taught has created an enemy out of public schools. And so that is creates the impetus and the desire for these large portions of Republicans to want to move to this voucher system under the guise of school choice. Given that approximately 85% of the public chooses to send their kids to public schools, it would seem to me that that is a loser issue. In other words, money's going to 15% or right. less of the population at the expense, to some extent, of those who remain in the public schools. Um, if the voter connects the dots on that, most of them would seem to me would recognize they have a self-interest in not doing that. Well, Republicans have a bit of a challenge now that the ESA program is estimated to be over a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to find some sort of accountability um, and find some ways to at least make a record of what they're talking about because less than half of the enrollees in the new expanded ESA, and by the way, the ESA, if it was a school district now, would be the largest school district in the state. But ha less than half of those folks are people who moved from a public school. More than half are were already I heard in a seven, private uh, the school. The figure I heard was 75% were uh, already in a private school. I, I've heard closer to half, but okay. regardless okay. of whether it's half for yeah. 75%, the vast majority are not of a public school. Mm -hmm. And it, this is costing over a billion dollars. In other words, money's going to people who were already outside the school system. So that is obviously a total net cost to the state. Right. And they're going to argue that but that it will all even out in the wash because the, the money it's not going to the public school, but it's going to the education of the individual student. Um, that being said, I think there are accountability measures that folks on both sides of the aisle could agree to. For example, test scores, testing, whether or not the schools, these private schools decide to allow these tests to factor into the grade. That's up to those private schools. But we require public schools to have testing Test and, and not, report the and test. not private schools. Correct. And then also a curriculum. We mandate that public schools publish their curriculum and make it available to parents. Mm -hmm. Seems like that if you're going to take public money for that, that the private school should have to do the same. Similar in effect, if you're taking the, the vouchers, 
you're a public school of a certain type. Right. And also how many of your how much voucher money is any individual school taking? How many voucher students are enrolled? The stats that we keep on public schools and public schools have a lot mm-hmm. of data that they have to report to the public mm-hmm. um, should apply to the these uh, private schools as well. If they want to receive this public money, the public is very much in favor of transparency and protecting taxpayer Mm -hmm. dollars. Uh, So that we now have a system that doesn't have that accountability in place, does not have that reporting in place. If Republicans want to maintain the system, they ought to implement some of those uh, rules because right now, uh, really – as it grows larger, the the stories have not been positive about this. Over a billion well, dollars of unaccounted for the money. The dollars and also the people who are teaching in those schools, not necessarily even college graduates, let alone certified teachers. So, I mean, and and often paid less. And, and the, we're not we pay our public school teachers not enough, and the, pay less. You look at in the, some of these entities, the teachers are paid even less. But look at the senior executives there. They're taking money by the wheelbarrow. Well, and think about school boards. We have publicly elected volunteer school board members that are uh, that we know who they are. They have public meetings and they meet. These these private schools do not have that same level of accountability. We've seen parents show mm-hmm. up and speak to these things. They're all public. We hear reports about what's going on at these public schools. Not the same for private schools. So if they would like to receive this public money, I think it's safe to say that the taxpayers would like to know where that money is being spent. Do you think they score points on the issue of, well, these public schools are indoctrinating the kids with liberal ideology? I I think they've scored points with the 70 percent of our electorate who don't have kids in school anymore. Mm -hmm. Our electorate skews much older. Uh, Mm -hmm. More than 35 percent of our electorate's over the age of 65. They haven't had kids at home Mm -hmm. for quite a period of time. Um, They're getting their information not from the local news necessarily, but from the national news. So as we Mm -hmm. see the national news emphasize these topics. Topics that are happening in other places that are not here, um, I think that there is some impact with the some of the audience, particularly mm-hmm. seniors. That's the challenge that school districts face. They have to be more overt about their communication, that they're teaching an all-American education. Their students say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. There's a constitution in every classroom. They're teaching character education that makes students good citizens of their community. Mm-hmm. The, that's what's happening in our public schools right now, but you don't hear a lot about that because the national discussion is so uh, focused on these negative things and they have easy catchwords like wokeness and critical race theory that they bandy about. Critical race theory is a college level theory that is not being taught in our Arizona classrooms. But to hear some of these folks talk about it, you'd think it's being indoctrinated into the students every day. And uh, yeah, a lot of teachers I say laugh at that. You know, if I could indoctrinate my kids, I'd I'd indoctrinate them to shut their cell phones off and pay attention and wear deodorant. (laughs) That's (laughs) what I heard. If I could indoctrinate kids, I'd tell them to wear deodorant. You know, so so we've hardly scratched the surface here. Can you come back next week and and let us uh, let us uh, follow up on this? Absolutely, love to love to continue this conversation because I had an agenda here and we we've scratched. We were going to do this, but we scratched less than half. This is too good not to continue. Come back next week. We'll have more Paul Benz in the think tank.